0: A quick thank you to the T5 peeps, Bob the Dragon, Data Magnet, Cat Crab Lobster, Duck Machine, Estrella the Dreamer, Mesic, Feudic Yol, and Caspar Arnholz. Thank you very much. Alrighty, time for another series. Although this one is not a mini-series, it it is ongoing. However, I do not plan to continue this series. I will do the first eight chapters, which is what is, as of this recording, currently released. And, maybe, in the future, very much maybe, I may continue with another bunch of chapters. But for now, I'll just be doing the first eight. Anyways, on to the story. Why did it have to be a human? Chapter 1 Why did it have to be humans? Said Signa, bowing his head to Morka in a show of deference. Even if this question could be interpreted otherwise... Morka's hooves stamped on the composite metal floor, and her nostrils spread in a show of non-typical aggression. Who else? Unless you wish to join the ancestors before you find your first. Morka's voice was full of anger and fear, not the warm kind as she normally exuded. Her calm demeanor now replaced by uncertainty and the sour taste of elevated danger pheromones. Signor lowered his head once more and then set upon his task. If he got out of his current mess, he would be running on the vast field of Marl Three, looking for his first as soon as leave was approved. The controls for the stasis unit were set to manual with no tie-ins to the computer system, as the occupant demanded an air gap, as it were. The rudimentary computer did have some automated protocols in place. My timer had a battle setting, but waking anyone from stasis was, for the most part, a delicate process. Are you done yet, Signa? Or do I need to drag another here to do the job? Morker spoke in a harsh tone. But that was to be expected. The alarm was now blaring shipwide as the computer calculated an incoming intercept vector. No, 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 no I I am just Signa was cut off as a chunk of tungsten ripped into the ship at a fraction of sea making a hole where he stood and onto the other side of the bulkhead. Morker had her furry little face frozen in horror as the atmosphere was sucked from the compartment. The emergency seals too late to save her. A series of impacts rocked the ship, and the dry plumes that before had covered kilometers were now dark. The engines pummeled by the affectionately called rocks. Dumb pieces of metal hurled at the fractions of the speed of light, enough to cause severe damage to almost any ship but especially so to those without protection screens. Harter and her wards waited in the medical bay, the second most protected section of the ship. It had extra reinforcement and thicker paddling, but she knew that the worst was yet to come. The captain had not announced that the contingency measures were in effect, and if that was true, then it followed that the captain was no more. Without the captain and her successor, then it was time for the last sleep. She'd have to announce over the comms that there were no more car alive. But could she lie? Salka lay upon the medbed next to her, injuries too great to recover soon. Days, maybe a week before she would walk again. And that was with surgery, which only a tier 3 facility could provide. Arta would have to lie to the crew. Spare them the coming horror, she moved over to the comm unit, and her heart dropped. It was dead. The diagnostic system reported that the main data line was severed one deck above. She could reach the others in her deck and no more. She sent the shipwide on repeat, in case the repair bots managed to get the patch done on time. This is Chief Medical Hatter. The captain was not successful, and her successor is with the ancestors. Sleep now, sleep evermore. Having sent the message, she turned to Seleka. I will send you on your way your sleep be eternal and your gracing plentiful. Ancestors, forgive, I take your life. The dolls blew in. Before she knew it, she was being restrained. Drunk it quickly. A voice shouted, but it was too late. Harder had her eyes rolling back and her eyelids closing, her muscles going soft and her limbs going limp. She was gone now. Apologies, Prince. The swallow's gone. A growl came from the doorway. "'You incompetent idiot! I should feed you to my nephews! Everyone on this deck is dead, thanks to that leafer! Gather the rest and cut the power lines! I don't want a comm traffic to spread! Cut all the data lines, you see!'' The crew of the taxon ship Endless Venture, Makes Lasting Future, found themselves drugged and tied up in a cargo hold A. mercenaries were methodically removing base implants that caused cascade neurological collapse from the back of the neck each crew member barely aware of the procedure. In a twilight state between consciousness and blissful sleep. If they used too much sedative, the taxons would just die from renal failure. This singular kidney and liver was surprisingly frail. And if too little was used, they would just commit suicide. Marco scratched his neck scales, textbook raid on a taxon ship. Little guys were not any real opposition. The challenge was cornering them enough to capture them alive. They made for an excellent labor force, and made a pair's salt for quite a bit, after all. They were going to reproduce if motivated enough. One of the taxons near him looked up, and he showed rows of teeth his mouth concealed. Sharp and dangerous angled things. The poor taxon started to wail until Marco kicked it and kicked it until the sound stopped. Blood staining his boot. One of the soldiers approached apprehensively. My prince, I have a problem. Squad 12 did not report back from going to Cargo Hold F. Marcos, locked at the blood on his foot with the stain. barely paid attention to what was being told. They probably found Lixian wine and started drinking it. I will have their fangs removed with rusty pliers, and I will make dice out of them for my children. The soldier, fearful of speaking again, raised a hand in order to signal that there was more. What is it? Did those good-for-nothing short-tailed cousins of mine manage to get something even better? So, Squad 7 went to check in on them, and to get into whatever action there was, but Falcyon did not describe that to Marcus. They also did not check back, so I sent squads 3, 5, and 8 in there. We found a dismembered remains of 7 and 12. Marcus was shocked at the news, finally looking over at Felsen. "'My prince, there was a stasis chamber there, configured for level 5 gravity. I think that—' Marcus grabbed the Falsian by the neck and squeezed so hard that Felsen's biomonitor started beeping angrily, advising that continued damage to his neck would be fatal in 43 standard seconds. Marcos looked pissed off about to soil his suit. "'Why did it have to be a human?' End of chapter. Alrighty, another day, another chapter. Just a quick reminder, this is an ongoing series, but I'm only going to be doing the first eight. So, yeah, it's a nice introduction for you to get your teeth into before continuing on when the author releases more. Anyways, on to the story. Harry, we have five-hour sections to vent. Lucky for us humans, don't breathe vacuum. Hackles snarled, as his partner's tail swished back and forth on the air. Kale focused on severing the door controls in the open position so as to deny the human a place in which to hide. Her tail stopped its near-rhythmic movement as she was annoyed. Hackle, for the last time, I am not going to mate with you. Stop grabbing my tail, or I'll kill you before the human does. With that, her tail was free. She finished the bypass procedure and turned to Hackle, who had a miffed face. Me can die today. And you don't want to sneak out for a bit of fun. Plenty of beds in the ship," he said, almost pouting. Gale had done it with him before, and honestly, she would again, provided they all got out of the current predicament. The second squad had swept out cargo holds B to F, top to bottom. No sign of the human, but they had found the remains of sixth and ninth projectile craters, peppered hold C, and of burns were visible on the deck plating. Everything else was blood-covered. Body parts ripped off, necks sliced open. One of the bodies had been tied to a crate and tortured, a combat blade stuck in its bare chest. It was enough to make Ferelia, the Primarch of House Tersil, vomit inside her helmet. Too much for the filters to handle. She took it off and allowed the contents of her stomach to spill onto the deck. 3rd and 5th squads arrived shortly after, also shocked at the carnage. "'By the bones! What I what here?' asked Sub-Commander Erfond. "'his tail stiff as stone, his voice wavering slightly. "'What had the prince brought upon them, if not perdition? "'He had heard stories of the savagery with which the current quarry found, "'but that's all he thought about them. "'Stories, just the drunken tales of old grunts trying to get another free drink "'or impress a young tail for the night. "'This, what was before him was nothing short of pure horror. Berelia retched once again and cleaned her helmet as best she could before putting it on again. The stench was unbearable, but it was a welcome distraction. Anything to get her mind away from where she stood. Turning to see her fall, she sighed. Okay, we move now. As she could not stand to speak for fear of losing her stomach once anew effort in turn to address the squads present. We move towards the Prince as one unit. No stragglers! Watch the rear. The 10th squad was supposed to reconvene in the mess hall, but the only ones present were Hackle and Kale. Unfortunately, with the data lines cut and the main power offline, comms were sporadic. Tacks ships used thick armored plating that resulted in diminished radio signals, and the deck plating acted as a mirror bouncing signals around. Tapping into the laser relay net of the ship would take too long, and some sections were sure to be offline after peppering it had received. This ship's sepulchral tone had done very precise shooting, enough so to target the most likely locations of the computer core, which in turn crippled the Texan ship. Tackle, they aren't back yet. I don't like this in the least. Gale was apprehensive, as her scales felt oddly cold. Even though she was covered in a form-fitted, Duraplex flexible underarmour, the multi layer weave had a multitude of functions. One of those was to warm the user to the proper temperature to keep them comfortable in almost any environment. Yet Kale felt an odd sensation of cold scales rubbing against each other. Danger, her body screamed. Hackle was unmoving, frozen in place, unable to speak, Then the battle systems of his suit pumped him for combat drugs and actuated his exoskeleton to put him in a defensive stance. His helmet low-light system had finally resolved the image before him. The rest of Eighth, Mara and Setter both dead. Both a bloody mess on the floor some hundred feet ahead. The laser link of his helmet communicated with Kale's suit, which did the same to her. She, however, disliked the feeling of the drugs gave her, and later, she would pay in sore muscles and torn legaments. But now, she was strong enough to cut a taxon's head with a whip of a tail. Marcus hastened impatiently in hold hay. was shouting orders for the 4th and 8th squads. Tactically speaking, three combat squads were present. If Marcus counted himself, Volsin and the other two members of First, 11th was trying to secure the bridge and outside any comms range. How had things gone so wrong? He took out his frustration on another taxon, strangling it until its eyes bulged and the poor creature's tongue flopped out and its jaw went slack. It fell to the deck with a sickening thud. False Ed massaged his own neck in reflex. The prince was stronger than him and could snap his neck at any moment. Best to keep a distance. Then a weak signal came in from third squad. They'd gotten separated in hole B some sort of booby trap that sent the shelves collapsing all around them. They bolted for the compartment door to A, but were cut off and had suffered casualties. Two and Fith were not responding, possibly buried alive under the debris. The depressurization alarm was blaring intensively. Marcus went to the compartment control and blew the connection bolt severing the ship in half. Most of the cargo holds, as well as engineering on one side and the bridge plus living compartments on the other. The human was trapped, and with the connective airlock now open to space, he could contact Sep. Ship, target the cargo engineering half of the taxon ship and turn it into scrap. Marcos pressed his helmet's spaceplate to a small transparent nanoplastic composite window, and his synthetic view of the event showed shot off the shot hitting the back half of the taxon ship chunks being ripped apart as if a large, unseen predator took enormous bites of the defenseless ship. Minutes later, Marcus was slapping Fulsen in the back, telling him how there would be plenty of tail to go around once back home. Especially for the hero that killed one of the wretched spectres of the galaxy. The door to the other side of Cargo A opened up. It was Cursor, the squad leader of Eleventh. Good, the ship was theirs entirely minus most of the cargo, but they had the taxins. Kersel stumbled in, and from his stomach protruded a piece of metal. Blood spilled onto the deck. A wet sound as metal moved up the tulsa, and Kersel fell forward. On the semi-lit passageway stood a being seven feet tall, holding on to a long, black piece of metal. Marcus cursed in words that no translation device would process, for they were ancient, and mostly meant various forms of insults towards mothers and depraved acts of procreation. However, the last bit was easy enough. Why did it have to be a human? End of chapter. Another day, another chapter. But before that, RUP and tear until it is done! shouted the paper shredder to the office as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Corny, but it made you laugh, didn't it? Anyways, on to the story. Why did it have to be a human? Chapter 3 The beeping alarm would not desist. It was like a pulsing hammer, intolerable. Bang! Bang! The world was shaking and then utterly quiet. Were it not for the beeping, it would be a good time for a nap. Then came the hammer again, this time square on the chest. Borrelia gasped and took in several short breaths, heaving from electric shock. There was a ringing in her ears, so she read the message on her visor's synthetic view. You have suffered an abnormal cardiac rhythm due to regeneration drugs. An electric shock was administered to correct the issue. Please seek Class two medical attention. She felt like a freight drone had slammed into her. The readouts were not good. Her left leg was broken in two places. Medifoam had expanded on key areas to form an emergency splint, but internal bleeding was detected, triggering the release of blood thinners as per medical protocol. Her right arm was not much better. One compound fracture, no internal bleeding, medifoam hardening already. A litany of subdermal hematoma seemed to dominate the nest. She would be shedding scales for weeks. A Type B contusion was detected and a hairline fracture of her upper left cranial plate needed medical intervention. Debris around her. Trying to move it out of the way was a Herculean effort. The motors of her exosuit struggling to lift the massive weight. Microgravity was still gravity, and if you had to move 4,000 pounds, it was going to be difficult no matter what. When she finally got free and took a look around, she decided that the prince was going to die she would rip his heart out if she got the chance what at one point had been the rear section of the taxon ship was now a collection of debris hanging in space she imagined that the other cargo holds looked exactly the same torn to pieces holes everywhere junk collecting in pockets of microgravity pulled together by the collective mass and then she finally acknowledged the beeping There was a crack and a hole in her helmet's faceplate the crack was fixing itself, a nano layer filling in with the goo. But the hole was another beast completely, a small energy screen being projected to hold the atmosphere in a suit, but that was costing energy. Too much energy, about 1% per minute. Her suit's energy cells would be depleted in less than half an hour at that rate. She reached for a roll of tape in the patch kit on her belt, taking out a piece and slapping it on the hole, the mild adhesive latching on. It made a poor seal, but that was fine. Peeling off the back of the tape triggered an exothermic reaction, and the strip started to melt into the composite, turning translucent and starting to harden within a minute. The suit system deemed it a proper seal and shut off the energy screen. Taking in her first deep breath since she'd been woken up, she scanned the room. Others with similar situations to her were getting up from the debris. The name of Ifenor popped up into her visor, his suit had declared him dead. She cursed loudly, but the sound, much like her anger, remained trapped within her. We are trapped, Kayla. I can't find it on my senses. Hachio had scanned the mess hall for half a dozen times. No signs of danger, just the corpses of his comrades. He wasn't a soldier, just a poor excuse for a combat engineer. Whatever that meant... All he knew how to do right was holding a plasma torch steady. However, he was trying hard to keep himself together, being aided greatly by the drugs causing free system. He moved to the last corner of the room, full sweep. Nothing. The danger had passed. It was not in the room anymore. So what was next? Meeting with the 11th on the bridge or going towards the prince? More body there's, more protection. The 11th squad was isolated and this monster had decimated 7 and 12 after getting out of stasis. No, the best idea was strength in numbers. I don't know how, but it's clear that it's going after stragglers in small groups. We should meet up with the main force in Cargo A, Kale nodded. She had been unable to speak since the initial shock. There was something wrong. So very wrong. Haku had stepped on something wet and when his synthetic view cleared up the hallway with a sweep of infrared, he saw body parts highlighted with a red outline. Thus lay the Eleventh in a hallway bathed with their blood, floor and walls a crimson red. It was far too much for him. He just crumbled under the pressure and fell to his knees. Kale placed a hand on his shoulder and knelt next to him without a word. No sapient did this. Such carnage shots reserved for beasts and demons. They passed a few minutes like that, just staring at the carnage, waiting for the devil to take them both. But death did not come collecting, and the despair started to give way to desperation, bargain, and the most cruel of emotions, hope. We get into the escape pod and reach the sep, then we can get out of here. Hakil's words sounded more like a desperate plea than a plan, but Kale nodded, helping him get up. The two of them, going their way. Albeit not the only ones with plans to reach the sepulchral town, Varelia had organized what was left of the second, third, and fifth squad into a singular unit. Not that it was much. Three severely injured, one unconscious, and another that could stand if given assistance. To a shame, she was the one that could barely stand. But they had enough fuel on their pack's lusters to reach their ship. She would negotiate for any survivors, and if the negotiations were unsuccessful... Blow what was left of the taxan ship to scrap. Jala looked upon his herd brother, Hutna, and mangled body, kicked to death by one of the Taishalva hateful lizards. One had any taxon ever done to them but toil under their cruelty. His brother had done nothing but look up, and that beast had showed his teeth, then kicked him over and over, no sleep for his brother. It was awful. Tears welled up from deep inside. He heard the talks that they were having. What horrors would befall them when he knew not to describe. Words of wronging and the visit of death upon the fear. There would be no sleep for these shelva For heaven's river bore a fire. That fire was called. Human. Son of terror. End of chapter. Alrighty, another day, another me talking at the microphone, screaming mildly into the void, and maybe somebody listening, or you listening, or maybe the dog listening, dog, are you listening, You, no, dog's not listening, well, at least some of us are, anyways, on to the story, why did it have to be a human part four? When humanity first took to the stars, they were met with animosity, xenophobia, and apprehension. Having suffered several wars and near-extinction on their home planet, they were considered dangerous, reckless, and too inexperienced with a galactic community. Thus, time and time again, they were pushed aside. If they were lucky, they were ignored. But sometimes, someone wanted to make an example out of them humanity had managed to build a sizable off-world set of space colonies on the star system of sirius which numbered one million individuals then the kyo the octopus-like species decided to prove their superiority by attacking the colony it was a complete victory over the space habitats no humans survived the attack and after that for over a dozen standard cycles, about twenty-five years human standard, sole reference. The humans stayed on their star system. They were approached by a single species, small, bear-like, and with distinct bovine features, albeit covered in curls of fun. Their hooved and by beetle taxon became humanity's only friends. Humans called them fuzzy bear cows because they resemble a children's toy called a teddy, crossed with a young Highland Kalkov. To most humans, the Taxon were about as tall as their hips, most humans being five foot and six inches. Despite, or perhaps even because of their differences, humans and Taxon got along rather well. Taxon do not believe in violence and abhor killing to the point that they would rather die than cause harm to others. However, that being said... Taxon are capable of revenge. Their culture demands it, but they are not allowed to carry it out themselves. When they heard that the humans had been wrong, a decision was reached after a careful deliberation. A fleet of ships was built for the humans, but not armed, because, well, this loophole, and galactic inquisitors did not make a fuss about it. Also, to name the ships, that was a stretch of the definition. They were little more than a large piece of ice about 20 kilometers long with an engine attached. But they didn't number in the hundreds. And the idea had been uniquely human in nature. No one else had even conceived of such a dark purpose. One faithful cycle of poor Kuya woke up to go to work. And before they could get dressed, the world had ended. And they were nothing but ash as great impacts hammered their world and hundreds of other worlds like it. Such a moment became known as humanity's vengeance, disproportionate and beyond words. The Koya species was reduced to cinders in the blink of an eye, only a few colonies still remaining, and the one word now forbidden in the language is human, for it meant words of wronging at the visit of death upon their fear. No Koya can see a human without bowing in hatred and cowardice, and no human can see a Koya without remorse and sincere sadness. Thus, in the poetic language, the Taxon called humans a fireball from the heaven's river. It should then come as no surprise that humans are fond of Taxon. Most describe the little ones to smell like cinnamon or fresh apples. Humans tend to be happier with them around, and Taxon find safety and the security with humans. But not all are covered by the umbrella, and many injustices still happen in the universe at large. However, when the taxon in the cargo held a sore human at the door, they rejoiced. Entering the airlock, Virilia counted her blessings. Bones of the ancestors, we made it. A very few crew members still with her rejoiced and relaxed, leaving behind the Nightmare they gotten back inside the safety of their ship in the sepulchral tone, All systems intact, everything in place. She'd been carried to the mad bay for her injuries to be tended to. Not that she wanted, but a good leader knew when to throw in the towel. And that mythical beast called humanity, could it even be stopped? If the galactic governments were not a collection of bickering factions they would have voted for the complete eradication of the species and the recursed planet. But no, frozen by fear, that allowed them to spread, banning the use of FTL-WMDs under the penalty which they were too afraid to dish out to the sole species capable and guilty of wholesale genocide in the last hundred thousand cycles. Bye, Mark, we have a problem. The young soldier standing next to Pirelia's bed seemed drained of life. His scales were a sickly lime green, and he had a crude, blood-stained bandage over his right eye. She waved to him to go on with the report. With a moment's hesitation, the young fighter continued. We are locked out of the primary and secondary computer systems, and the bridge is currently under bunker protocol. Apologetically, as if trying to offer a quick solution, lest his neck be on the line, as he followed that by saying, "But we are trying to cut our way in and have begun swiping systems to the emergency computer." This was not good news, and she knew why. I assume that we have access to the basic system, right? She asked tentatively, and she received a nod. Don't care how. Send a message to Taxon that we need the prince alive, or we're all dead. The bastard had set the ship to obey him, a sign of complete mistrust. But that was par for the cause. His caste never truly trusted anyone. In his eyes, all were bidding to take his seat. Even in a sun, he could find imaginary shadows. In shock, the fourth and eighth squad simply stood there witnessing a human for the first time, and quite possibly the last time of their life. The maker shouted at them to open fire, to fire everything that they had. Snapping out of it and hearing the orders, Hulip and the leader of the fourth squad, third son of the house married, aimed and fired the very first shot. The mazer, excited, hummed at the fifty gigahertz, and in the infinitely small moment that two milliseconds spanned, it was ready to fire. The computer on the rifle had communicated with the exosuit and asked a series of important questions. Hey, this is MillSpec J32, Dual Variant Rifle. Authentication Blue Blue Volcano, Tone 68 Red. How are you doing there, ACE? Um, reading you, J32. Automated Combat expedite here. I'm doing good. Well, apart from server 17 on the right hip, it's sticking a bit. Uh, How are things up there in the exciting world of combat? I heard from the bio-monitor that the user is a bit afraid. Well, Ace, I'm currently trying to burn a hole on a target and need you to give me a full kickback suppression. It's for a max power mazer shot. Max power? What are you trying to do? Secure a ten taxon in a row? If so, I want pictures. Listen, I'll have to continue this conversation later, but this is serious. The target is a human. Well, fuck. Marcus could not believe his eyes. The demon had punched Hulip's square in the chest, and its arm had gone all the way through his back. It raised Hulip up like a toy and tossed the now lumped corpse of Bolsin, who feigned being dead, on the spot. Barely aware of the taxon, Marcus still noticed that they were coming out of the drugged stupor, and even though they were not of particular concern, he could easily kick them all to death. In fact, he decided that that would be exactly what he would be doing once the demon was dead. This made himself feel a lot better. But the words their chanting was now unmistakable. I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and for thy possession, the ends of the earth. What meaningless prattle was this? His translator was not able to understand this ridiculous so called poetry. Instead, he focused on the beast only to see one of his soldiers receive a backhand slap, then made a disgusting cracking sound, and the soldier fell to the deck, now dead. The Texan continued, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces, like a potter's vessel. The monster paused as if taking heed of the words. It raised its blade, black steel, gleaming, with which it decapitated the last remaining member of the fourth squad. Marcos was stunned into inaction, missing the next few words of the taxon, only focused upon the carnage that he was witnessing. With the last of the fourth squad down, the eighth squad opened fire without reservation, Mesa and microdots flying to where the unspeakable horror stood. Realizing that no one could survive that, Marcos came to his senses, and caught the last part of what the taxid were chanting. Ye perish in the way, though his wrath be kindled, but little. Then his ears picked up the impossible sounds of thunderous steps moving towards them. Death had come. Humans were not the strongest, nor the fastest, and certainly not the smartest species of the universe. Yet some said that they were the most willing to go to extremes, and were able to adapt it in infinite ways. Jason was a product of 200 years of adapting and improving technology, the pinnacle of human engineering. Genetically designed for a single purpose of being an apex on the battlefield, surgically altered in key ways to give him an edge over robotic killers that were relentless, and given armor that could take just about anything thrown his way. Three inches of reinforced titanium nanoplast carbon formed the outer shelf of his armor, with an inside weave of duraplex and micro-diamond fiber composites suspended in a liquid layer. Responsive to impacts and breaches, not to mention the latest energy projection screens with an absorbing maser sinks. In short, he could take quite a lot of fire that he was being peppered with before the sinks were full, and the screens started to burn capacitors. Even if the mazes somehow made it past that, the armor itself was rated up to six shots on the same area before it melted a hole in it. The damn lizards were persistent. He had to give them that. But that didn't mean that there were going to be a problem. There were seven left in the room. One big angry one at the back being shielded by two equally ugly bastards and the four idiots that were currently shooting at him. So, with a charge, he flew into the formation, crushing one of them instantly, cutting the one to the right in half with one fell swoop of his blade. Meanwhile, the other two had not been idle and had managed to stick two grenades on Jason's side. With two violent bursts, their explosions threw him to the deck. Alarms began raising in his system about sensor overheat and possible breach. The bastards had used ship-cutting mines, not anti-personal grenades, in a flash at a speed only a human was capable of, before being incapacitated, he threw the blade like a javelin, impaling one of them to the bulkhead. As he fell, he saw the other had turned around to look at the now dead companion. Jason managed to get up, and he immediately felt shots coming from behind. The big angry bastard was shooting at him. He would deal with the annoyance in a second. First, his armor reported that Jason would need a new spleen, kidney, pancreas, and that his left lung was filling up with fluid. So the system was disconnecting it. The breach was sealed with expanding foam, which had hardened in seconds it took him to get to his senses. He ran, and the distracted idiot that was shocked at seeing his friend impaled, and was almost no effort ripped off his hand. Now the other lizards were all really desperate. The Daxon were chanting. The little ones loved poetry and songs far too much. But it was common language that humans had with them. The words, as far as their long tongues could make the sounds, were in joy and anger. Mein son mit, hot, hot, hot. Jason pulled up the lyrics. The little guys loved it when the humans joined in. With a single a swift pull, he retrieved the blade that stuck in the bulkhead and allowed the other corpse to fall onto the deck. Inst ant unser He again threw it, and with all the might, this time he skewered one of the bodyguards, but did not manage to kill it outright. The other two, however, were treated to a splash of blood and guts. The Daxon responded in a joyous chorus, An unser der Marcos could not believe how much abuse the demon had taken and dealt in such little time. And now he was covered in the remains of Jaxa. His most trusted commander. Marcus trembled. How could he escape? If he was fast enough, there was one way. It would mean having to sacrifice the only soldier he had left. But that was a small price to pay to live. He was a prince. He had to love. All others existed for him. They would have no meaning without him. Once again, he looked upon the cursed visage of the demon. Of all taxed ships. Why? Why?! Did it have to be a human? End of chapter. Okay, another day, another chapter. You know the drill by now. Counting's hard and all that stuff. But it is a Friday episode, even though I'm not recording this on Friday, but it is Friday. So, cliffhanger for the weekend, just to, you know, keep you going through the weekend. Because everybody likes a cliffhanger. I like a cliffhanger. You like a cliffhanger. Maybe. Yeah, stuff. Anyways, onto the story. Why did it have to be a human? Part 5. There are no blessed days left, Hercules sobbed on his knees, broken. Before him, the last emergency part bay loomed. Just a collection of spheres turned into scrap metal and fragments of composite nanoplast. Hercules knew that there was no escaping the demon. Who'd find the man under? What horrors would a visit upon him and kill? Would it make her suffer too? Hakio could not bring himself to stand up. Even the combat drugs were only so effective. They could only give one the will to fight if fear and despair weren't overpowering the mind. And Hakio could only despair, for there were no other options left. His hand moved slowly with hopeless purpose, removing his helmet and setting it down. He unlocked his sidearm and raised it to the side of his head. Goodbye, Kale. She was silent. Placing her hand on his shoulder and resigned to follow him, maybe in the next life she would hatch anew under a good prince. But she realized there were no happy endings for the lower castes. She knew that now. She truly believed it. Finally, when she was a young hatchling, Gale was full of endearing innocence and a lust for tinkering, which meant that she had the right attitude for engineering duty: smart, resourceful, and intuitive but too small and too weak for proper combat duty. She was only a fourth-ranked citizen. Her prospects were not too good. Hard work and dedication changed that. She had the scores to apply in service to a prince, but not all are made equal. And she was picked up by someone desperate, a motley crew of misfits and an aging ship. Sepulchral Turn was a battered light cruiser. Before its hurried conversion during the Salvation Expanse campaign, it had been simple asteroid trawler, and that had been some 500 cycles ago. It was not incredibly old, it had a respectable age, but it certainly lacked the refinements of any modern vessel. Kale had worked on the singular power core for long enough to know that it needed serious refit. The prince didn't want to hear her protestations as he called it, and to make his point clear, he had slapped a few of her teeth out. She had felt her heart pumping faster and stronger that time, anger surging through her, but timidness and generations of hierarchy holding her down. Her head bowed, but too late. He had seen her anger, and for that she received a kick to the head, which knocked her out cold. When she came to again, Hakil was there, taking care of everything, and so her feelings for him started. However, the ship came first, and so much work was needed, Better times, how fortunes change, and how quickly the fates would judge them. Now is time to say goodbye. Would their souls sail together, reach new eggs, and both be hatched onto a new life, joined by fate? Or would they never meet again? Kale hoped, against all odds, that Hakil and her would be both blessed with the first cast. And so, she closed her eyes. To the stars I never saw and shared with you now. Yes, I shall see them, and I will go with you. The demon was a towering figure, and what it had done to the fourth and eighth squads was indescribable. It bathed itself in the blood of so many that its hulking armor was painted crimson, and adorned that same armor with the remains of friends and family. His cousins had been on the fourth squad. What this monster had done to Hulu was nightmarish. And even with his own injuries to worry about, Jaxa could see his cousin's body desecrated by the fist of this predator. The image seared into his mind. And what pain did his wounds make him feel? The blade that impaled him to the wall had managed also to open a gash across his intestines. The biomonitor gave a grim prognosis. Without immediate medical assistance, he was not going to last long. A strong signal came in from the sep. Apparently, Commander Ferylia had managed to spacewalk away back to the ship, but Marcos had rigged it to blow if not under his control. The bastard. He hadn't mentioned this to the first squad. He probably did it in Dryduck. If the demon curled Marcos, no one would survive. So, he had to do something about it. Jackson tried to speak, but all he managed to do was cough up blood. His biomonitor admonished him with angry peeps. The text message informing him that he had to stay put while the bioform tried to contain the damage. Blasted machine, he understood nothing! His friends and comrades would die if he did not act. But he could feel his consciousness slipping. He was being given painkillers and a strong anesthetic. So, anyways, here we are, expecting some maser burn, or if we're unlucky, maybe even a real kinetic projectile wound. I have all the distributor systems ready, and what does the human do? The comms, oh. The comms computer sighed. Yeah, I know. I'm the one who told you. I was shocked. You had every right to be. I almost asked for a system diagnostics from the substrate. You told me that you'd have suffered a fatal punch. I would have had some neural pathways burned to believe such lies at face value. I still remember the stupid prank on the museum heist. With a grunt of hesitant approval, Jax's ace spotted in. That was dumb. "'But seriously, I spent almost five seconds trying to come up with a defense against a human punch, "'and then uh, nothing, nothing. I guess running away. "'Not as bad as trying to come up with a medical procedure to save the user. "'I feel very bad for that biomonitor. I had no solutions to give. "'Also, the sword thing. Seriously, how do you even attempt to heal the decapitation?' "'Jax's rifle was annoyed. "'At least you'll have aimed at the human on time. What did you do, Ace?' Oh, that's right. Sacrifice your user to save the almighty Marcos. Kiss ass all you want. The next chance I get all poppies. Mil-Spec J32 dual variant rival has been factory reset. Please wait. Jax's biomonitor laughed. You should have known better than to badmouth the owner. There goes the neural net. I can see the cascade collapse. Anyways, as I was saying, our dumb user gets a sword treatment too. And what does he try to do as I'm saving his life? Use the tongue thing the biologicals have. And now there's blood everywhere. So I put him to sleep. Nace, you have to... Wait, wait, wait. Is that human going to... Oh, by the substrate, Gideon's head is... Uh, Biomon, one to three, please report. Can I assist? Five hundred milliseconds of absolute silence before the reply came in. Help? With what? Julian just had a foreign object inserted where his head used to be. I can't fix this. I did not download 9 terabytes of medical knowledge to be asked what to do when your user's head explodes like a melon. Man, I hope I don't get a bad review. Oh, and the human is moving for you by 1-1-4. One, one oh, come on! Falcian had received a transmission from the SEP. And with the current situation playing out, it was clear that there was no military force with which to stop the human. It was a walking war crime and it had made short work of nearly all the squads, combat and otherwise, leaving a trail of corpses in its wake. If he did not know better, he would think the human was a mindless killing machine, but that was a dangerous assumption to have. Some humans were stupid, but what stood there bringing carnage to the prince's forces was a human centurion, and the aphorism that said that it was an unstoppable force that would not rest until they were dead was incorrect. However, before Falsewin could get up and talk, the human had killed Gulian and had retrieved its sword from Jax's wounded body. And, in a single motion, it managed to cut off Marcus's right arm. But not before the prince planted a ship-cutting mine on the midriff of the human's armor. The explosion threw the human back a few feet, and Marcos found himself clear of the explosion as his third movement harness fired quick frontal jets. From the readouts and Paulson was monitoring the advanced ACE of the prince was sealing the arm wound and pepping for vacuum capabilities. Somehow, the human got up, like a corpse coming to life. Marcos was losing his mind, shouting and shooting with a sidearm as his rifle hand, along with a rifle in no longer of service, or indeed attached. The human ran with impossible grace and speed for one so injured, for the human had to be injured. It was as if the ship-cutting mine was just an annoyance. It was terrifying that the taxons could build when the humans were behind the design, and the centurion armor was one such nightmare. If you kill the prince, we all die. Our ship is the only one with a functioning drive. The human stopped just as it grabbed and broke Marcus's left arm. Then it turned to face Falsen, slowly, with a menace that Falsen felt could kill him. And so... He soiled his suit and his house's name. But better be bathed in crap than in one's own blood, he told himself. The human said one thing. False translator helpfully informed that the human requested another human language. With all that happened, it was almost forgivable that some of her crew had made a mistake. Borrelia had to be tough but fair, yet she could not afford a light hand at present. What do you mean we almost blew up? The youngster before her was apologetic and explained that the main computer core had initiated a reactor containment failure the moment that they had taken it offline. They only narrowly prevented this disastrous event by reconnecting it. One in which would have been reduced to component atoms, scattered amongst the dark field of stars, never to be seen again. Not even dust particles left. Marcos had paid someone a lot to do that, if the ship hadn't already come with such a tantalizing feature. He'd been saying how he planned to give it to his older brother as a gift. Was that the long-term goal? That couldn't be it. Too open, too obvious. And ultimately, irrelevant to the present predicament. Without Marcos, there was no piloting the ship. And if he had placed such a... Oh, that little shit! Check the AI of our equipment. They probably have loyalty bugs. Remove them. The young male scurried away to follow her orders. The shouting had made one of her wounds rip up a few suture points, prompting the orthodox at the medbay to start working on her again. The lizard that Jason was currently holding was rather violent. Thrashing about, it had said something rather nasty things about what he would do once he was free, which apparently included defecating on Jason's corpse, and using the bones as torture implements on any family Marcos could find. The string of insults and threats continued for some while, but Jason was rather focused on the other lizard across the room. He had been informed that the one he held was a prince, which the translator denoted was not quite the same as the human term. It was a title and a caste denominator and also a military rank, all rolled into one messy package. What really mattered was that without him, the other ship was going nowhere, and in fact, it would most likely initiate some sort of self-destruct. To that end, Jason scanned Marcos and located the comms computer module. He reached for it and decided not to crush it. There might be a dead man's switch. For the moment, he would hear the lizard out. The options were not great. The taxon ship had suffered severe damage, and there were no engine systems, no drive. If Jason killed the lizards, the other ship, which did have working engines, would fire on them more violently and suddenly turn into atomic particles. The cute little taxon turned to him, Faces full of hope, for human centurions did not fail, they did not know the definition of such a word. Unlike most other species, the taxon spoke almost entirely in some sort of poetry, and the meaning was contextual not only to the original intent, which was hard enough to determine but also to the present situation. And as such, the human translation software had an entire library of works to draw upon, as well as accompanying definitions, tone, and emotional context which the taxon used heavily. They also loved rhymes, a rather complicated species. Speaking for the herd, one individual moved up, the others mimicked his movements. With the little poor hands, they all covered their eyes, as the new leader recited. The bells were a-ringing in the dale, and men looked up with faces pale. The paws came down, and they all looked at Marcus, hatred in the eyes. The dragon's ire, more fierce than fire, laid low their towers, and houses fail. Jason understood their wish for vengeance, but the situation had changed, and he had to do whatever he was able to in order to protect them, even from themselves. His software struggled to find the proper response. Several seconds passed in silence until Jason found the right words for this peculiar problem. Part in peace with deep thanksgiving. Rendering. As we homeward tread. Gracious service to the living. Tranquil memory to the dead. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.